HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. And uh, tonight is the one-year anniversary show of Let's Get Real. Yay! Happy anniversary, everybody. So, right around this time, obviously, last year, I launched this show, Let's Get Real. The cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. And for two years before that, I had been doing a show uh, called Why We Cook. Some of you, hopefully, were listening to it. And um, Why We Cook was one of the first shows here on Heritage Radio Network. It was, I think, the second show after Patrick's show. And it was, um, it was really good, I must say. Like, I think it was a, it was a great show. Really interesting. Um, but I felt like I had more to say. I had more. I had, more, I had a deeper message to get there. I had a more urgent message that I wanted to get out to people, but I wanted it to be in a fun and entertaining way. I didn't want it to be so serious. So I realized that, you know, if I wanted to get really famous, I mean, sorry, help people, I had to do a show not about why we cook, but about why we don't cook. Or actually, why we cooked, or why we used to cook, and why we don't cook anymore, or why we never cooked in the first place. (laughs) Well, we, we don't, but I do, sometimes. But by we, I do mean you, too, since you listen to this show. So even if you don't cook, at least you think about it, or you know to think about it, or you tweet about thinking about it. But the point is that in making the distinctions between the us that I refer to in Let's Get Real and the them 
who I like to talk about. I want to make sure it's understood that if you're listening to this show, you are definitively us. And that's what America is really all about, isn't it? It's the freedom to know who is us and who is them. But to pretend that it isn't like that. So let's just say that generally speaking, most of us don't cook. Most people don't cook. I mean, really. Maybe, you know, here in Hipster Bushwick, people probably talk about cooking. Not only do we not cook, but we don't even really know what food is anymore. We don't know real food, what it is. We know what a strawberry-flavored organic Pop-Tart might taste like, but we don't know what a real strawberry tastes like, like an in-season, warm-from-the-sun strawberry. And that's what Let's Get Real is all about. We, you and me, my dearest lovely listeners, we would know real food if we stepped in it. Not that there's really any food on the ground to step in. I mean, there's just protein bar wrappers and empty vitamin water bottles and empty soy chip bags everywhere. And unless you're walking around on a farm or, you know, someone's backyard here in Brooklyn, you're not really going to step in any real food. Now, that's the whole other them that Let's Get Real distinguishes from us. But I'm also one of them, the Brooklyn Backyard Farmy crowd, but not really. And neither are you, because you wouldn't be laughing at my jokes on this show if you really were one of them. So because all of you, because of all that, sorry, because of all of that, you could also think of Let's Get Real as why we don't cook, or also why we should cook, but don't, or why we should cook, or at least know that we should be cooking, or at the very least, to know to eat an apple and not an apple-flavored gummy vitamin. And of course, I'm not the first to shine a recyclable CFL light bulb on this issue. I'm just the first to make it not boring. I'm also the first to not expect you to raise your own chickens and grow your own vegetables and make your own freaking kimchi. In other words, I'm the first to not expect you to care. You hear that? I don't expect you to care. I'm, al- I'm also the first to make food fun, real food, fun. Plenty of food is called fun food, but real food, fun. And also to make caring about real food fun, which is much more of a challenge. And in short, I'm here to prove that while you don't have to be a douche to eat real food, you are a chump if you eat foodiness. So Let's Get Real is basically here to help solve the PR problems of the real food movement, that elitist, inaccessible utopia, perceived of as an expensive, boring, liberal, overwhelmingly uptight, self-righteous crowd. And those guys throw like the worst parties of all time, too. I mean, they're the kind of people you don't want to be at a party with. They're not going to get your jokes. When you get really drunk, they'll just judge you. And you definitely do not want to go home with one of them because the fact is that they're into real food like a fetish it's a trend it's beyond a trend it's a fetish like star trek or pinterest or having sex with people in animal costumes they fetishize real food and they worship it and they wear it on their bodies as tattoos and use it as a symbol of their evolved superior beingness but it's food you shouldn't have to be into it you get that you shouldn't have to be into food it should just be it should just be there like oxygen or facebook it should just be there one of the basic elements of human existence that we don't 
we don't even have to think about it. You don't say you're into oxygen, except maybe like in Beijing, where at this point it's probably a fetish or actually a commodity that maybe the only rich can afford. Although my co-producer, Chris Nutter, who I mention all too often on the show, points out that real food does become by default kind of fascinating after being immersed in foodiness for decades, which is how he was until he met me and I I shined my CFL light bulb on it for him. Real food has a scent and you, you have to wait until it's ripe and you have to use it before it rots. It's tactile. It's sensual. It's kind of like if all you know is sexting or internet sex and you actually get it on with a real person in person, it would seem really fascinating, but also kind of a little repulsive. But of course, that's what alcohol's for, right? So do you see the connections here? And so I wanted to get rich and famous. I mean, I wanted to help expand the real food movement out of the foodie elite and into the mainstream. And by the mainstream, of course, I mean liberals, of course, and maybe a few choice moderates and some fringy conservatives who have a survivalist thing going on, like my friend down in Texas. You know who you are. And by liberals, I also mean people who watch The Daily Show and The Colbert Report, because let's get real, is The Colbert Report a foodiness? And I am the John Stewart of food. And I think that's a large enough demographic to base a show on, don't you? Now, there are plenty of well-meaning people out there championing real food. Plenty of people here at Heritage Radio. Plenty of people. We're all talking about real food. Real food. Real food. But I don't really want to be the next Alice Waters. Not really my type. I would have to kill her anyway if I wanted to be here. And besides, being the next her would probably never get me on Dancing with the Stars. And that's really the goal. But if I did kill her, it would definitely get me on NPR which is also kind of the goal, but not on TMZ because nobody would care. And that's kind of the problem with wanting to be the next Alice Waters. Now, I have a note here from Chris that says, before Let's Get Real, he had never heard of Alice Waters, but he also blocked out Lady Gaga for years, successfully not knowing who she was either. So you can't always trust his pop cultural sensibilities at all. But the point is that he didn't have to block Alice Waters out. She blocked herself out for Chris. There you go. So anyway, how do I get the news across? How do I get my message out there? How do I proselytize and get it across? Well, more people watch Jon Stewart than watch the actual nightly news. So I thought maybe I should do it that way. You know, just steal his shtick. I mean, I even look like him, if you know me. You know, snarky. That's not a look, but, you know, it's a thing. Dark haired, kind of big nose, short Jew. Not like a little wafish waspy old Hippie from Berkeley, like you know who. Plus, I'm not like some unfunny, uptight, easily offended type of liberal. I am a liberal, but I'm not one of those easily offended, uptight types. That's not me. And I'm not just an orthorexic, which I've talked about. I can laugh about the orthorexia. I can point at myself, and that's the difference. Stephen Colbert said that his inspiration for the Colbert rapport was that you can't be laughing and afraid at the same time. So people who would otherwise be repelled and disempowered by the news will become informed by watching the Colbert Report because it makes them laugh. And I would say you can't be laughing and bored at the same time by a show about real food 
and real industri- food industrialization, unless you've got a mouthful of whole grain goldfish crackers, then you better chew and swallow before you laugh. You don't want to choke and miss the rest of the jokes, right? Although, actually, if we did have a listener die as a result of listening to Let's Get Real, it actually could be really good for press. So if you wind up choking on a whole grain goldfish as you realize that there are no actual goldfish in your goldfish, please tweet us a note to that effect. Now, the real food movement is kind of boring and up its own ass and unrealistic and self-righteous and not sexy. And it turns off people who would or could get into it who would at least want to know that they're not being bamboozled by foodiness. And that's where I come in. Now, I may be a liberal who votes Democrat and contributes to Grist and Planned Parenthood and listens to NPR and keeps bees and lives in Brooklyn and is actually happy to have a president who is a half-Muslim, half-African socialist and is friends with liberal domestic terrorists. But I also hate everyone, including myself. I mean, I'm the worst, and I can laugh about that. With you, together, we can laugh. As opposed to the liberals who hate everyone, especially themselves, but pretend not to. That's the difference. Or conservatives who hate everyone but themselves when they really should be self-hating. Now, come to think of it, they're the worst. They're worse than me. Of course they are. We all know that. We, not them. And then, of course, there is the issue of making real food a social identity. And I understand I took anthropology in college. I get it. Even though I went to art school, we did have some academics. I understand humans are tribal. We're tribal in nature. I mean, seriously, I'm in Bushwick. Look around you. Okay. But we don't really have tribes anymore. Alas, we have user groups, social media circles, eHarmony, Meetup, Grinder. But real food shouldn't be an identity. You don't need a turnip tattoo on your ass cheek to signify to the other tribe members that you're one of them. You only know the secret handshake, of course. And the secret handshake is to eat real food. This is food. We all eat food. What you watch on TV should be your identity, not what you eat. And which podcast, singular, you listen to, that defines you. That you listen to Let's Get Real is what defines you. And me. And we. And us. But not them. And if you're still not really getting it about who is us, well, you know, people like Sarah Silverman and John Stewart and Joan Rivers and Louis C.K. And what do we all have in common, by the way? We're all Jews. Tonight on this most holy era of Yom Kippur, I'm talking about my tribe. We are still a tribe. We have to stick together. So anyway, it all comes back to me wanting to be famous and to be the John Stewart of food. And I really, I mean, to get the message out of real food and to get everyone under one big happy farmer's market, unbleached organic canvas tent, but not them because they'll never get it. So that's what real is about. And that's what let's get real is all about. And that's what I've done in this past year, calling out the important distinctions between the real food eating, inappropriate joke making, Joan Rivers liking us and the self-righteous navel-gazing, unsmiling, Joan Baez-type them. And, of course, the Sarah Palin chocolate chip cookie-toting, 40-ounce soda drinking, my civil right to be made obese thinking, them, them, the other them, the uber them. But they'd never listen to the show, so I don't really try very hard 
to reach them at all. But I would like to offend them, if only to get me on Fox News or into the Post. I mean, alas, I think it's more likely I'll wind up in the Post for offending liberals. But I don't care how I get in the Post. It's that I get there. And after all, there's nothing better than PR. Sorry, nothing better for PR than getting in the Post for doing something offensive to liberals. And hilariously enough, it also very conveniently turned out that I was right about everything that I said on my show. I know, hard to believe. Well, almost everything. I'm going to say, I'm humble. I know when I've made a mistake, and I'll admit that at the end. We'll get to it. Now, you know how you'll hear a story on NPR or read it in the New York Times, and then like a month later, you see it on the mainstream media, like you'll see it on the Yahoo homepage or you know, the local news. Well, LGR, let's get real. We are totally on it. It's my job to tell you all this stuff and to be right about it because otherwise you may as well be watching Fox News or something like that. So FYI, what you don't know and I won't keep from you because I'm very honest about this is that I actually do do a lot of the reading and the research for this show. I put a lot of work into this. I had a research assistant, Belinda, She did a lot of the work for me, but she actually went off and got a paying job. She wanted to get paid for her work. I know, ungrateful, Generation Y. No, not even, millennials wanting to get paid. So she left the team, but we let her go. We let her out, and we wish her the best. But let's get real about this. It really is my job to do all the reading and to know all of this shit. It's not your job. You're too busy. You're too busy running nonprofits and publishing quality literature and making goat cheese and running earth-to-table restaurants that only serve turnips and figs and teaching poor black kids to play golf and then in your spare time, Pinteresting and updating and Instagramming and liking and playing dice with friends and making your own kimchi and going to Zumba. Maybe not Zumba because I've never seen you there. I was there today. And... P.S. Don't forget to like Let's Get Real and to follow me on Twitter and retweet my tweets and to friend us and Pinterest us. And I want you to be interested and Pinterested and to play Let's Get Real with Friends, the game, which will be coming out on the iPhone 6 with a grinder inspired app that tells you how far away from real food you are at any given time. That way you can be a real food slut available for pickup 24 hours a day. Real food grinder coming soon. Now, where was I? By the way, this is going to be a very long show. So when I take a break, you may want to go to the bathroom or get a drink or something. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was right. That's what the whole point of the show is tonight. I told you so. I was right. I broke the stories before they made the mainstream or at least the Huffington Post. The point is that you don't have the time to read all the studies and check the 10 different websites or stay awake during PBS do- documentaries on food manufacturing. You just have time to listen to Let's Get Real. I'm like the Reader's Digest of all that stuff for you. Or to listen to the reruns when you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And to tell your cousin who works in development at BBC America about Let's Get Real, the TV show. Or tell IFC to reconsider. So in honor of Let's Get Real's one-year anniversary, I would like to take you all now on a journey back in time. 
Let's revisit a few of those old shows in the past year, the shows where I was right and I told you so. We're launching tonight the maiden voyage of the Let's Get Real Foodiness Time Machine, a full two years before Richard Branson launches Virgin Galactic. I just want to say, I may add here, a full two years before Virgin Galactic. So, If everybody would all now please line up along the velvet ropes that we have there by the boarding gate. And please discard all your bottles and cans unless there's booze in it. But nothing cupcake flavored, please. And nothing endorsed by Snooki. And please have your e-ticket ready on your device because we don't accept paper tickets here anymore. And get ready to go back in time with me. What? Yeah, yeah, yes. This is a repurposed DeLorean. You are correct, sir. Yeah, I got it from Michael J. Fox. I know. He was having a garage sale, okay? Any more questions? Please, sir, you're delaying the launch. We like to stay on time. Now, we're setting the dials to take us all the way back to the mid-late 2011s. You got that? The mid-late 2011s. Back to when there were only four iPhones. And when Snooki was just a skanky Oompa Loompa on the beach. And then we'll travel all the way back to the future to the mid-late 2012s, where now we have an astonishing five iPhones, and Snooki is a mompreneur. But please turn off your device now, because they can interfere with the DeLorean, I mean the Time Machine's navigational equipment. And we don't want to accidentally go back to 2007, when tweeting was still just something done by birds, and Chris was still writing self-help books, and I was selling knives on the Home Shopping Network. We really don't want to go back to that. And this was before the Let's Get Real test tube surrogate womb transplant birth of the Let's Get Real twins, little Lexi and Hampton, the foodiness kids, and their new adopted African sibling with the unpronounceable African name that we first changed to Brittany, but now we changed to Eastwood. Now, the three of them are off for the summer, although they're back now. They're just back. They're on their way home. They went off to ADHD palate disorder camp this year for the summer. They had some problems with their ADHD, and it was disordering their palate. And so there's a special camp for that now, of course. And they've been texting in all throughout the show and all throughout the summer. And they're going to keep texting during our journey because you can get Wi-Fi in the LGR time machine. We rewired the DeLorean for Wi-Fi. And we're going to share their text with you. And also Alice, remember Alice from down the rabbit hole? We visit with her once in a while on the show. We talk about her a lot here. Well, she finally got Wi-Fi down in the rabbit hole. Time Warner Cable has finally wired the rabbit hole. And she's going to be live tweeting throughout the show, too. That is, assuming she doesn't confuse the modem with a box of Atkins bars. Because you know Alice, she'll eat anything that says, eat me, on it. So as we take off and the Real Food Snack Cart comes around, I would like to welcome you officially to the first anniversary of Let's Get Real, or what I'm calling the I Told You Show. You learned it here first, then you heard it everywhere else. It all makes you feel good, right? Kind of smug and empowered, like you're in the right tribe. And let's get real. What good is knowledge if it isn't to make others feel insecure for not knowing it? Knowledge isn't power. It's superiority. Now, this is technically still New York, 
after all, 7-Elevens and the High Line, be damned. It's still about being first and being right. And now also about being fat, but we'll get to that in a bit. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Cain Vineyard and Winery are proud to support Heritage Radio Network and the growing movement to change the way we eat and think about our planet. For more information, go to Cain5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and this is the first anniversary show the I told you show. Now you, my dearest listeners, are a bright, bright, bright bunch of people. You're smart. You're smart enough to know to listen to this show. You're smart enough to listen to Heritage Radio. And since your media consuming time is very limited in your busy lives, you could be watching Honey Boo Boo Child instead. So I appreciate you and your smart choices. Now you've all been around the foodiness block, being born in America in the late 20th century, you were probably born on the foodiness block, like Jenny. She's from the block. It all started in the hospital with infant formula, or what I call the first foodiness gateway drug. So you've been there. This is nothing new to you. One of the first things they stuck in your mouth in the hospital was a manufactured doppelganger of breast milk. How messed up is that? Now, you are most definitively smart enough to know instinctively, for example, that a veggie puff, one of my favorite examples, veggie puffs, you know, Pirate's Booty brand veggie puffs, those corn slurry based puffy doodly things that are coated in dehydrated spinach powder and then sold as a healthy kid snack. You're smart enough to know that those are a definitive foodiness fabrication. You don't need to know the news or me to tell you that. It's as clear as the possibly surgically altered nose on your face. But what if one of you accidentally left your old iPhone 2 on in the time machine during our takeoff? Well, first of all, we would laugh at you for only having the iPhone 2, but then we'd be kind of scared because what if leaving your phone on really did affect the time machine's navigation system like they tell us on the planes? And what if it is really true and not just a way to trick us into turning off our devices and making us read SkyMall instead and then buying a set of wrinkle-proof solar-powered pajamas. And what if that iPhone 2 and all its powerful computing power messed up our navigation course and we landed in 1929 on the farm of Chris's grandmammy, his Mima Irma Tubbs, in Cullman, Alabama, way back when pastured eggs were just called eggs and grass-fed beef was just called beef and vegetables were vegetables, not puffs. And when growing real food and eating real food didn't mean you were an elite. Being an elite meant you kept your teeth past the age of 30. This is also back when the elite were pale and chubby people and working folks were thin and tan. It was a crazy topsy-turvy world back then. 
And so the foodiness time machine comes crashing down on Irma Tubbs property and she comes a running from the hen house to see what all the commotion is and she sees our DeLorean uh, time machine on her farm and in our bumpy landing Chris was driving and his Percocet from the night before hadn't worn off yet he said he was okay to drive but I knew he wasn't and in our bumpy landing we all spill out of the time machine and the snack cart tips over and there are all the bags of veggie puffs that had been planted there by the evil forces of foodiness who were actually sent by TMZ to entrap me so they could take pictures of me holding up bags of veggie puffs, kind of like Prince Harry had to cover up his royal jewels in Las Vegas a few weeks ago. It would have been like that. And old Irma Tubbs comes running, and she's hungry because it's 1929. And remember what was going on then? Yes, the Depression, and she's hungry. And she thought about killing and eating all of us, but then she decided that it was going to be too much work because we were all too fat for her to get her hog knife through. So she picked up a bag of those puffs and she opened it. And to paraphrase what they say in the mega churches of suburban America, what would Irma do? Well, she might taste one or she might at least have smelled them. And then she'd probably think they were some kind of newfangled hog feed and dump them in her pig pen where the pigs of course would go insane and devour them because it's corn and they would get nice and fat and thus would begin the era of industrially fed livestock and that's really how it happened you know industrially fed livestock it came from a few from the future on a spaceship that's how it happened and then irma she'd probably calm down a little bit and she'd invite us all in for some pie made with apples that she grew and a crust made from her own pig's lard and some homemade butter in the mix because everyone knows pie crust should be made with butter and lard and we'd all sit down on the porch and we'd have a grand old time and then adam my husband by then he would have fixed the time machine for us with his leatherman tool because we let you take weapons on board the foodiness time machine in case we encounter hostile future beings and we have to eat them and Adam hates to be without his Leatherman tool, and so does Chris, but in a totally different way, and I won't go there right now. So we say goodbye to Irma Tubbs, because Adam fixes the time machine, and we eat our pie, and we wave to her, and we set off, and we reset our course for the mid-late 2011s, and off we go, and we wave to Irma as she heads back into the hen house, where she's getting her pastured eggs that she just calls eggs, and... They're from her hens that roam around the pasture, and those hens eat bugs and worms and cow poop and grass seeds because that's what hens have done since Mormon Jesus invented them in 1850 when he made the world. And she has butter to churn that day and pies to bake, and Irma goes on to live to be 105 because she eats her pastured eggs every day and her butter and her lard and her homegrown turnip, and she dies peacefully one night after drinking too much moonshine with the hippies who build a commune on her land in 1970, who then turn around and sell it to real estate developers in 1990 for $10 million, who turned it into Coleman's first gated community of track McMansions full of early-onset mommies who live on Nutrisystem and kids who live on Hot Pockets and Ritalin. And then we reset our course, and now we've landed in mid-2011, specifically June 12th, 2011, the day I aired my show, Believe in Butter. Now, having grown up in, sorry, we've landed, sorry, in mid-2012. What am I talking about? June 12th, 2012, when we aired Believe in Butter. And having grown up 
in the fat phobic decades, the 70s, 80s, 90s, the real fat phobic years, I ate my share of faux fat butter-esque products. Stick margarine, tub margarine, squeeze parquet, I can't believe it's not butter, country crock, all that stuff. Everybody thought it was going to be the newer, better alternative to that dangerous old butter. Nasty, bad butter. It turns out, though, that all that shit is really bad for us. And now I have totally embraced eating real fat again. Real butter, real lard, cheese, cream, like Irma Tubbs ate, and like my great-grandparents would have eaten if the Nazis hadn't gotten them first. I'm sure they would have eaten real butter because that kind of super skinny look, it wasn't so popular amongst Jews back then. Now, on Believe in Butter, I got real about what foodiness has done to butter and how the campaign to topple real butter and replace it with foodiness spreads began, as it always does, by demonizing the sinfully delicious real thing in the same way that religion demonized sex and drugs and rock and roll and how foodiness is allegedly better early alternatives like margarine and its poor relative Crisco made from toxic hydrogenated vegetable oils turned out to be just as sickening a replacement as virginity or sobriety or Hannah Montana were for sex and drugs and rock and roll. Now on that show I also discussed how butter is caloric but it's also really good for your brain and if we ate more real butter and less fake butteriness We'd be smart enough again to stop believing in fake alternatives across the board, like reality shows or Mitt Romney. And as always, I discussed how to realistically get real about butter, which is when you can to buy organic and or grass-fed. But even industrialized real butter is better than butter you shouldn't believe in. And like all my shows, I told my obligatory funny story from my childhood, because there are a lot, this time about being too tall at a mere four feet something, to play one of the Siamese princess daughters in The King and I, complete with a gold brocade-covered margarine tub hat. Now, I've never really gotten over that, and that's kind of what drives me to do this show, to reclaim the glory that I missed in that fourth-grade production of The King and I. Oh, and also in that episode, I do get into how I think Crisco was actually invented as the true final solution you know the gradual extermination of all the funny smart people you know the tribe and then lo and behold the show airs and a few weeks later in the media the bearded guru of health himself no less than dr andrew weil announces that lard and butter are making a comeback and that he was wrong wrong andrew weil through his beard wrong about all those fake butter substitutes, and now it turns out that all along we should have been sticking with what? Real food. Butter and lard. And here is a quote from the article that he published that says, Recent scientific analysis of 21 studies determined that there is no significant evidence that dietary saturated fat is associated with an increased risk of coronary artery disease. Instead, the principal culprit in the obesity epidemic and a major contributor to heart disease appears to be overconsumption of sugars and carbohydrate-intensive foods. Huh. A.K.A. what? Hmm. Foodiness. And he adds that people who consume full-fat dairy products actually have lower rates of heart disease. Imagine that. What would Irma Tubbs have thought? 
Well, she probably wouldn't have understood it at all because everyone believed in butter. Whether you made your own or it was store-bought, because that's all there was, butter. It didn't need five modifiers to distinguish it from doppelganger counterparts. And you know what else? This year, I switched to 2% milk from skim. I'm going to whole. I'm just, you know, gradual, small steps. And I'm still eating all my usual full-fat cheese that I've always eaten. And I'm eating more butter. And I switched to whole milk yogurt. And you know what? I'm thinner and more muscular than I've been in years. I am a size 6 now. I haven't been a size 6 since high school. I mean, they have been playing around with the sizes on the clothes to deceive you. But compared to a 600-pound potato person riding her motorized scooter through the Taco Bell drive through a size 6 might as well be a minus size 6. And I've gotten there in part by eating real butter. So why are there so many obese people out there? Why are people looking like potatoes and driving scooters? I mean... It used to be that you saw an obese potato person and thought, well, they must be eating too much butter and meat and rich foods. Hmm, Turns out they're eating too much country clock, clock, country crock, and a whole lot more sugar and a whole lot more refined carbs and a whole lot of soda. And maybe it's time to put down the Cinnabon and put down the Krispy Kremes and make yourself some pie with real butter instead. Sure, butter is caloric, but it satisfies and it's good for you. So bake that pie with lard and butter in the crust instead of the frozen microwavable one or the fast food one. You may have to do a little bit of work to make the pie, but you'll be burning calories while you do it so you can eat more pie. What I'm saying is if you're going to be fat, be old school fat from eating too much real food like people used to do. Not from eating too much fat-free, non-dairy, artificially-flavored creamer. Oh, Alice just tweeted in from the rabbit hole. Here's a tweet from Alice. She says, Ate the pill that said eat me, then drank the bottle, labeled drink me, getting bigger, not sure what's happening. Also, creepy guy in a hat bugging me. Huh, wonder what's going on down there. I thought she would have learned by now. Well, hopefully she'll tweet in again later. She'll be fine. Now, our next stop on the foodiness time machine is going to be March 20th, 2012, when I aired Performance Doesn't Come in Bar Form. We're going to take a very short break here so I can have a little bit of water, and we'll be right back with our next stop in the time machine. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. America Wide's your host. Remember, you can always find me on Facebook at Let's Get Real. You can follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. And you can listen to all Heritage Radio Network programs on iTunes or on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can also visit my website, which is Let's Get Real Show.com, where you can watch the video 
of Let's Get Real, the TV show, soon to be on a major network. Well, I hope. You know anybody who can help me out? Let me know. Okay. So we are now on our second stop in the foodiness. No. The Let's Get Real time machine. Yeah, foodiness time machine. Let's Get Real time machine, I think. And we're going to March of this year, 2012. When I aired, performance doesn't come in bar form. So Chris... You know, Chris Nutter, my co-producer, also my publicist. We spend a lot of time together. It's like we're married, but he's gay. We spend a lot of time together because we write the show together. But we also spend a lot of time working out. Not together. Very different. Now, he does capoeira. Capoeira. Brazilian martial arts. And he lifts weights. You know, that's what he does. Now, I take a lot of boot camp kind of classes, like military style stuff. I lift weights, I hike a lot, I run a little bit, I swim, and I do Zumba, of course, because if I do enough Zumba, I will one day be on Dancing with the Stars. Now, full disclosure, both Chris and I are both just a touch obsessive compulsive when it comes to exercising. He does it because he's gay, you know, in the 90s kind of way, that hedonistic 90s muscle-bound narcissistic gay thing, spending all their time at the gym, like God intended kind of gay. Not like gay guys pushing strollers and trying to be normal kind of way. I do it because I'm a chef and I spend my time completely immersed in food. And also because, as I have mentioned many, many times on this show before, I was a fat child. I was a completely unathletic, inactive, fat kid named Wides. So I am compensating a little bit now. Now, I didn't really get real about exercise until my teens, and then not really seriously until my late 20s. I ran my first marathon three weeks before I turned 40. So I'm a little bit late to the game, but I am proof that you can always get into the game, even if you were the kid like me who never, ever, ever got picked for the game. It's not too late to pick yourself for your own team. So we wanted to do a show about sports foodiness and spending as much time at gyms as we both do. We both see our share of people guzzling the sports drinks and eating the power bars and eating the protein brownies. And as a runner, I've witnessed people ingesting those packets of goo. Do you know about this stuff? It's this goo, it comes in a packet, and you suck it down while you run. Now, when I was training for the marathon, I tried one, and it was like swallowing someone else's post-nasal drip or some other viscous bodily fluid that might more often be ingested at Chris's gym. I'm sorry, I had to go there. Anyway, we both felt like people were being totally bamboozled by the fitness foodiness industry, and we wanted to get the word out. But first, we had to do some research for the show. So one rainy, gray March morning, we met up at a GNC in Chelsea, you know, GNC, with Ronan, who's Chris's dog. I don't know what breed he is. He's very hairy. Looks a little vaguely collie-like. I don't know. He's beautiful. Nice dog. Ronan. Now, normally Chris cannot take Ronan into stores that sell food because A, it's not allowed by the health department, but B, because he's a dog with a dog's nose and he's a food addict dog and he'll go crazy and try to eat everything in sight in the store. But you can bring a dog into GNC because there's no food in GNC. 
When we stepped into GNC, which I will mention used to stand for General Nutrition Center, but now just stands for GNC. Ronan took a couple of sniffs, and then he turned around in a circle, and then he laid down on the floor and he went to sleep. Now that was indicator number one. There is no food at General Nutrition Center. Ronan's a smart dog. Ronan knows what's real. But apparently people don't necessarily know, or at least the kind of people who get their nutrition from GNC. So what was for sale at GNC? Well, all foodiness, no foods. They had lots of drinks, lots of powders and bars and gels and puddings. And they were all in flavors like Berry Blast, Chocolate Charge, Cookie Flavor, Purple Flavor. The flavors of products you would expect a child with very, very bad parents to be eating. Like maybe meth addict parents or Romney voters. Sorry, I just couldn't help it there. I mean, talk about your extreme infantilization. Men, mostly, buying up performance products, but then ingesting them in these infantilized ways, like in big giant sippy cups, like powdered infant formula, or in like candy bars, or in cookie form. This stuff is so far down the foodiness rabbit hole that there's actually no food down there at all. There's just a wall of blenders and a big box of straws. So I did the show all about the foodiness fitness bamboozle and the weekly amusing tale, obligatory weekly amusing tale about a past tiny boyfriend of mine, tiny little boy, who overdid it on protein shakes to near dire consequences and wound up in the hospital and almost had his appendix out. And yet again, turns out I was right. Because a few months later, after that show aired, there was the media frenzy leading up to the big Olympics in London this summer. And there were all these articles on athletes who are now rejecting performance products and turning to, wait for it, food. Huh. Do you think Jackie Robinson or Joe DiMaggio or that guy who broke the four-minute mile or Bruce Jenner pre-Kardashian era used foodiness products? Of course not. They didn't exist back then. They ate food. Maybe they took steroids, but that's okay. I'm okay with drugs, just not goo. Because at least you know with steroids that they're not food. It's a drug. Everyone knows it's a drug. Now, of course, as I say... You don't have time to read the studies and the articles about sports drinks, and you certainly don't have time to read the Atlantic Monthly. But you do certainly want to tell people that you read the Atlantic Monthly and be that kind of person. So here you go. I've done the reading for you, and now you can refer to the Atlantic Monthly piece on performance supplements without having to actually read it. It was on the controversial science used to back the marketing of sports drinks wherein studies are funded by the manufacturers and the public is duped into thinking that sports drinks are a must to avoid the dreaded dehydration monster. Well, it turns out, unless you're like an Olympian or you run sub-three-hour marathons on a daily basis, you're okay with water because that's what humans have been drinking since we crawled out of the water and had to start actually drinking it because we weren't living in it. And the sugar in sports drinks is one of the main contributors to childhood obesity now because people say, oh, I don't give my kids soda. They just drink Gatorade. They need it. 
they're dehydrated. Yeah, well, they're also going to be obese. So good job, foodiness industry. Way to bamboozle us yet again. Or how about the article in the New York Times about how elite athletes were now drinking beet juice and tart cherry juice before competing because it turns out that, huh, real food is actually good for humans and it gave them a competitive edge. Or another article that said, you know what the best sports nutrition snack for runners is? Freaking raisins. Yeah, a handful of raisins. How unsexy is that? I mean, maybe they can flavor them purple or make them fizzy or add caffeine to them or something. Or, you know, maybe now that Snooki's a mommy, she can endorse raisins for her kid. So real food wins again. Knowledge is power, after all. It's not just about being smug. It's about being smart. It all breaks down so often into what kind of person you want to be. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be the kind of person filling your refillable BPA-free water bottle at the gym out of the faucet with me? Or the kind who drinks purple-flavored, energy-ripped, pumped sports drinks like a big schmuck? And don't you want to feel that wonderful and fulfilling sense of superiority flowing through your veins with every sip from the tap? For knowing that consuming foodiness performance products that even would put Chris's food addict dog to sleep? I think so. I know I do. Did I mention that I'm a size six now? I did? Okay, just making sure. Oh, and we just got a text. We just got a text from the kids. Lexi and Hampton are texting in from their new iPhone 5s. Of course, only the best for little Lexi and Hampton. They were conceived in a test tube. They're very special. They say, hi, we are fine. Eating cheese string and whole grain goldfish. Tomorrow we eat Gogurt Camp Rocks. R-O-X. Woo. Am I glad we sent them off to that camp. That camp is doing wonders for them. They're eating real food there now. They're eating string cheese and whole grain goldfish. That camp is totally worth the $10,000 a month that we sent there. But it's okay because we're only paying their nanny $3 a day. So it all works out. Okay, we're going to take one more short break. And then when we come back, another stop on the foodiness time machine. You're listening to Paradigm Shift by Hemtronic. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, which you should become a member of if you have not yet. We are now member-supported, like NPR, but better. So go to HeritageRadioNetwork.org, click on Join. Right, Joe? Join? Click on Join. Maybe Donate. Okay, Donate. Whatever. Join, Donate. And join us. Donate. So we just got a tweet from Alice. Alice is tweeting now. From the rabbit hole. And her tweet says, much bigger now. Can't find shrinking pill. Starting to get tight in here. May need jaws of life. Now, I told that British bitch to be careful of what she ate. But she said, don't worry. If the package says to eat me or drink me, then we should. The manufacturers know what's best for me. 
sure, Alice. And there's a talking rabbit and a smoking caterpillar I'd like to introduce you to also. Okay, so now we're going back. We're stopping off at November 29th, 2011, where I did my show called Food is Supposed to Go Bad. Now, real food is alive and real food dies. It's supposed to go bad. It lives, it breathes, it decays, it dies. Just like us. It's nature. We are nature. That's how it goes. That's how it's supposed to go. It's the great circle of life. Please cue the Elton John music. And that's how it always was, too. We grew it. We raised it. We picked it, caught it, killed it. And then we kept it fresh or let it age. And we knew how to eat it and when to eat it by using our senses. Remember those? They were killed off by foodiness. Like sight and smell and touch and taste. You know, in other words, what we did before we had apps and spinning and power bars. And that's how we survived until the invention of foodiness. Because foodiness has has retrained us to mistrust our senses. To ignore them and deny them. With its preservatives and packaging and processing Who needs to know what a fresh fish smells like anymore or if our cheese has gotten too old because old is the point of cheese, you know. Suddenly our food has become ageless and immortal, embalmed and preserved for eternity like King Tut or Cher or Bruce Jenner. So you can't trust foodiness because foodiness doesn't have your best interests in mind. Remember, it's not food, so it doesn't spoil or rot or decay. And those of us who ingest it feel a deep sense of trust in it. But trusting that pre-scrambled eggs in your freezer will never go bad is safer than trusting in an egg you bought and cooked yourself that will naturally go bad is like trusting that the Republicans won't repeal Roe v. Wade or privatize Social Security or make evolution illegal. The point is you can't trust it because it doesn't have your best interest in mind. It's about profit and convenience and laziness and greed and the bottom line. Everything that you used to say that you were against back when you used to smoke a lot of pot in college. Now, real food, on the other hand, is about nature and life and death and respect for the planet and our health. Everything that now drives you to recycle or own a Prius or vote Democrat. Because the mythology of foodiness is like the mythology of the ancient Egyptians who mummified their dead in the belief that they live forever in their smug, chemical-doused wrappers, like a protein bar on a shelf, quietly waiting out eternity until a harried soccer mom grabs it for her snack-deprived tot to scarf down in the minivan. The truth is, that tot would probably be better off eating an unwrapped mummy than an unwrapped protein bar, because at least the mummy started out as actual meat. The upshot is, is that if your food doesn't go bad, it probably is. That was always the case. But now it's even worse. Now they're designing food to be more like foodiness. So there was a story in the New York Times a few months ago on apples that have now been genetically engineered to not turn brown when they're cut. Apparently, eating a whole apple is actually too much work for people and too hard and too big of a commitment. So the sliced ones now on the market are coated with vitamin C and calcium, so they don't go brown, but you can buy your little bag of slices. But apparently that affects the taste of the apple. So a new engineered apple that can be cut and packaged and sold for three weeks in the bag without turning brown is on the market. 
Three weeks. Cut. That sounds like foodiness to me. That sounds like taking a good thing and altering it to make it bad. Or more to the point of, let's get real, taking a real thing and altering it to make it fake. So if this is a little too much to handle, let me put it to you this way. A real apple that will turn brown when it's cut is to Gary Busey in the Buddy Holly story as a foodiness apple that doesn't go bad is to Gary Busey on Celebrity Rehab. There's also been a lot written lately about fermentation and how beneficial it is for you to eat fermented foods. Yes, it is. Very good. Good for your gut, your immune system, your digestion. The lack of truly fermented foods in the American diet may actually be one of the major culprits in a lot of our major diseases. Fermentation in its simplest form is food slowly going bad. And isn't that what I said? Food is supposed to go bad? That's how you know it's real, right? So we've stopped eating fermented food and we've stopped eating food that's kind of on its way to going bad and that's having a negative impact on our health. Oh, Alice just tweeted, found some new foodiness products down here. Protein ketchup. Said eat me. Gained 20 pounds. Doctor is putting me on Metafast. We'll keep you posted. Holy crap, she found the protein ketchup. Now over the past few years, I've, no, the past year, it's only been a year, I've referenced a few of my favorite movies. You know which ones. Soylent Green, The Matrix, and of course, Wally. Now, the humans in Wally, if you don't remember, are these like kind of squishy, weeble like rounded lumps who spend their lives in these like moving, easy chair scooter things with giant cup holders for their all hot dog slushy diets and flat screens like iPads installed right in front of their faces attached to their hover scooters. They never leave those chairs. They're kind of like lazy boy recliner meets motorized scooter, and their gazes never leave the screen. Supposed to be science fiction, but uh, look around you. Sounds like a typical day in America. The Wally people are what I, or they're just like, what I am now calling the potato people, the newly obese masses who got that way from mainlining foodiness and who are now the norm, not the exception. Even in cities like New York, which was once the capital of being too rich and too thin, we now have to install stronger bus lifts and wider train seats and wider ambulances to accommodate the hordes of human potatoes now roaming our streets. But actually, they're not roaming. They're riding motorized mobility scooters. You know, they kind of look like motorized tricycles. You know, those things that were typically used by the very old or the legitimately disabled? Well, now being obese qualifies you to call yourself disabled, as if obesity were a disease like MS or AIDS or having your legs blown off in Iraq. Just because you can't put down the 40-ounce Dr. Pepper and the giant bag of Doritos does not qualify you to call yourself disabled. Okay? There. I said it. And a group campaigning against obesity predicts that by 2030, more than half the people in 39 states will be obese. Not merely overweight, but obese. Two-thirds of Americans are already obese. No, already overweight. New York Times also just reported a study that said most of the world's weight is attributed, <laughs> of attributed obesity is located in the U.S. And in Kuwait, apparently they're fatter than us. So, ha-ha. 
Americans are fat and we are getting fatter. Now, did they really have to do a story on this or a study on this? Did the Times have to break this? Are you listening to this aghast and shocked? Have you been on the subway with me in the morning? Let me break some other news to you. We did some research on those mobility scooters and we found out that they're being sold in larger numbers than ever before, mostly just to people who are obese but not disabled. They're just too lazy to walk, and the scooters are easier to use than having to get up off the couch, put on your shoes, and get yourself somewhere on foot, or even hoist your large self into a car. And if you look on the internet, you can see people now using them to do things like drive through the drive through at the fast food place. Now, perhaps a few fewer visits to the drive through and you wouldn't need the scooter, If you can still walk, but you choose not to, you don't deserve any sort of assistance. Do you see the difference? A genuinely disabled person is on a scooter because they can't walk. A potato person rides a scooter because they won't walk. I said it again, and I've said it many times before. I was a fat kid. I was a fat teenager. I got really fat in college, but I figured it out. I got better. I could still even lose a few more pounds, but I love real food too much and I'm a chef. There's a big distinction between being fat from eating too much food and being fat from eating too much foodiness. Hedonistically living well is totally fine with me. It's very old school, very like robber baron, Henry VIII. But if you're 500 pounds because you're eating too much Taco Bell and Diet Pep, Diet, uh, no, Dr. Pepper every day, Then it's a potato people world and you are the king of the spuds. We can't start treating the obese as disabled and coddle them. We don't coddle anorexics. We hospitalize them. Why not the potatoes? Because the food industry needs them. They are the food supply for foodiness. Now think about it. The iconic mode of transportation, the iconic vehicle of the 1960s, 40 years ago, The VW Beetle. Now you couldn't fit into a VW Beetle. You have to drive an SUV or a scooter. You know what we called mobility scooters before the age of foodiness? Legs. Now before you get all offended, let me verbalize the lingering question here. Erica, are you coming out against fat people? Well, yes. But not all of them. Some of my best friends are big boned. And as I said... I was a little chubster, and I admire people who are large from living large. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are mainlining foodiness and who have abdicated all responsibility for themselves, including walking. And if you don't know who the potato people are, just look up from your device screen for two seconds, and you'll see. And if you live in New York, you can't claim that they're only on TV anymore because they're here. Ride the subway with me in the morning. If not, I'll just make an app for you. Or you can just watch Wally, and if you still claim you don't know who I'm talking about, you're either A, a lying ass liberal, too politically correct to speak the truth out loud, even though you secretly look down on them, or B, you're one of them. So if you are offended, please send this link to your cousin at Fox and your girlfriend's BFF who works at the Post. Let's get real, could use the press. We have one more tweet from Alice. I'm stuck. The Metafast didn't work. I'm 300 pounds. They're getting the Jessica McClure well rescue machines out of storage so they can drill down next to the rabbit hole and get me out. You should have thought about that one before, Alice. If you don't know who Jessica McClure is, Google her. You're too young. 
All right, we're running out of time here. So, in episode 40, you can't have your cheesecake-flavored yogurt and eat it too. I got real about how yogurt has now been smeared by foodiness and how it's flavored with Oreos and key lime pie and M&Ms and red velvet cake. And now yogurt is turning into cookies and candy and dessert. And it's all just about sugar and sweetness. And that's not really yogurt. And I also talked about the Greek economic crisis and how the Greeks are screaming and crying and wailing about how they have no money and their economies in the toilet. But the people who are eating Greek yogurt here are eating it by the gallon. Quarts and quarts and quarts of Greek yogurt. If you're not eating the foodiness yogurt, you're probably eating the Greeks. So what are the Greeks crying about? They should be cashing in on this. And that's what I did the show on. And you know what? It turns out, even though I was really just making a big insensitive joke at the expense of the Greeks, I was right because on NPR a few days later, there's an article, Greek yogurt shops popping up on every corner of Athens now. The Greeks have figured out, hey, let's get in on that. Let's sell some of that yogurt. And now, Greek yogurt in Greece is the hottest thing since pederasty. See? You can be callous and right. Opa! And then, episode 34, about Armageddon, called The End is Near, What's for Dinner? I talked about Armageddon, one of my favorite subjects. Now, whether it's the Mayan calendar or just our inevitable crash course toward a fiery end, the end of days is near, my friends, and you'd better get ready. And I think finally it may actually be upon us. Now, Chris is looking forward to it because he already leased the VIP suite in the foodiness fallout shelter. But first he's going to go over to the High Line and watch all the tourists fall down the stairs as they all try to escape. While they're searching on their device for their Armageddon survival app. Now I got real about what you were going to serve for dinner for Armageddon. How foodiness manufacturing has removed us so far from the source of food that we can't even understand where it comes from. So that when the end comes and we need to be prepared, you're going to be screwed, my friends. You need to start storing up lots of canned beans and honey and cereal and weed. Although apocalyptic survival usually boils down to eating other people. But the perks of the apocalypse coming are that A, you won't have to pay your student loan bills after all, and B, you'll probably lose a couple pounds. And I know that maybe you don't believe me. People have been crying wolf about the end of days since the beginning of days. But if honey boo boo child is not a sign of the apocalypse, then what is? So you better get busy. Now, this is the one time that I actually agree with the Mormons because Mormons keep like 50 years worth of survival food in their basements just in case. And I hate to say it, but I think they might be on to something. So unless you're too busy learning how to skateboard at 48 or playing dice with friends, you better start stocking up on the peanut butter and the beans now because the end is near, my friends. You want to be like the Mormons because do you want only the Mormons to survive? I don't think so. They're breeding out of control. So if the specter of that isn't enough to scare you, you better get to Costco and start loading up on the Raisin Bran. And just remember, also, I coined the term foodiness and I trademarked it. So step off. But not to any media listening. If you want to use it in reference to me, you're totally fine. I broke the story that we're not eating food. But I did break the story also about the manufactured doppelganger of food. And that's what foodiness is. And that is what bringing, is what is bringing this country to its knees. Literally, we can't stand up anymore to its knees. 
Now, if you need one more piece of evidence that I was right about all of this, here it goes. I know I'm going late. Sorry, Joe. I'm almost done. According to a new study by a prominent heart surgeon and published in the New York Times, corn syrup refined sugars and starches and colors and flavors and fillers and faux food and everything enhanced, a.k.a. foodiness, is what is doing us in as a species. Fat and sick and slow and now stupid because now it looks like foodiness may be the cause of Alzheimer's, a.k.a. type 3 diabetes. Stupidity is what brought us Snooki and the Kardashians and Honey Boo Boo and Bruce Jenner's new face and texting while biking and riding your scooter through Taco Bell and the Bushes and the Romneys and the Sarah Palins of the world. And it's all because of foodiness. And that's why you need to keep listening to me and this show. So if you don't want to be a douche and you don't want to be a chump and you don't want to be one of them and you still don't want to eat shit, then stay tuned for the second season of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. And don't forget to tell your cousin, the producer at Comedy Central, that I am looking for a deal. Thanks for sticking with me this year and tonight on this very long, very special anniversary show. Thanks to Joe in the control room. Thanks to Chris Nutter, my co-producer, Marishka Bland, who did research for us, and everybody who's written in over the past year to tell me that they like the show and you people who've written to tell me that they hate the show. I love you, too. It's okay. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.